Well, hey, welcome everybody. Uh, first uh, Sunday of summer, I think it is. It's great to see you guys. Uh, my name is Clay. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I usually hang out up front uh, over here afterwards. I'd love to spend a couple minutes with you, get to know you a little bit better, and uh, answer any questions you may have about Renaissance. Uh, so my older daughter is home. Uh, some of you know, uh, she, she lives down in Charlotte, and she, uh, she had an accident. She's uh, doing really well now. She'll be here second service. It's been great to have her home. And uh, the other night, we were watching, we decided we wanted to watch a movie. She had never seen The Martian. So we, so we sat and we, uh, we watched The Martian on TV. You know, and it made me think about that song and about what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning, just Matt Damon sitting there on this planet, you know, and he, he makes the point that he is the only person to have ever been alone on a planet. And it got me thinking, and I was checking out on the internet, and apparently a couple of years ago, somebody calculated that over the last however many years, we have spent over $900 billion trying to rescue Matt Damon from various situations, from Saving Private Ryan all the way to the Martian. Nine, if, if we'd actually, it was real, $900 billion. What they didn't do is calculate how much, how much money we have spent trying to kill him in the Bourne movies. You know, there's a new one of those coming out as well. I'm not sure what that has to do with anything, but it's just the idea of, you know, we are captured in our minds by this idea of rescuing people because I think there is something to that common human condition that, you know, it depends on where you are in your life and what you've been going through. But all of us at some point in our lives uh, feel alone. So for some people, it's a daily experience. For others, it's, it's just from time to time. For me, it was, it was about four years ago, almost four years ago exactly this week. I woke up one morning, went and sat down at my computer, started answering some emails that had come in overnight, and then, like, it seemed like out of nowhere, I just started crying, and I couldn't stop crying. And I just kept repeating over and over and over again, I can't do it anymore. I just can't do it anymore. And it was, was pretty much anything. I couldn't answer emails. I couldn't figure out what to have for breakfast in the morning. And I have the same thing for breakfast every morning, but I couldn't decide what to eat for breakfast. Getting out of bed was like an impossible task for me for several weeks. And, and just this, this experience of, of hitting the wall or, or being burned out or whatever you might want to call it, it was something that I had never experienced before. And while in one sense, I wasn't alone, you know, and my wife was with me and there were other people who would come and talk to me and visit me. But in some sense, it felt like the world had just closed in around me. And, you know, you're in a dark tunnel and there's just this pinprick of light at the end. And some of you have gone through that. And some of you go through that really on a daily basis. Getting out of bed is like climbing Mount Everest, right? And, and you just, it, it's almost impossible and you don't know how you're going to live your life on a day-to-day -day basis. And others of you had kind of the acute situation that I had. You know, for me, it was three or four weeks of going through this. And, and I, I was blessed to be able to, to go and see a doctor and get a physical and get a checkup there and make some lifestyle changes. And Anne was super encouraging to me. And I had a counselor who was helpful to me, you know, and, and, and friends who rallied around me. But for others, you know, deciding what to wear this morning is, is the most difficult task that you can think of 
because you just can't make decisions and you're feeling so alone and you're feeling the darkness closing in, closing in on you. And others of us may have never experienced anything that painful, right? The, the most difficult thing that we may be dealing with is, is a relationship difficulty, you know, a marriage that's breaking up or a child from whom you're estranged, or maybe it's just the next door neighbor, maybe it's your neurotic boss, maybe it's financial challenges, maybe you've got a chronic illness. I don't know what it is, but all of us at times in our lives feel like we wanna cry out to somebody to rescue us. And many of us, those of us who are, who are followers of Jesus, I feel like we need to be crying out to God to rescue us from whatever particular situation that we're in. And that's why this morning I want us to look at Psalm 22. For the last several weeks, we have been looking at several different Psalms. We've been talking about how the authors of those Psalms, and in particular, Israel's King David, wrote out of their experiences, the good ones, the bad ones, the challenges, the triumphs, the guilt, the shame, the fear, all of those different emotions and experiences that they had, they wrote out of their experiences, they recorded those those prayers, in a sense, and, and they were also sung, so they're sort of a combination of, of prayers and songs. And they recorded those in part to process what they were going through, or what they had gone through, but also in part, they were recording them for us, for the people who would come after them, because our experiences are similar to theirs. The details may be different, but the emotions, the feelings, the anguish in some situations, the loneliness, the joys, the triumphs, the guilt, the shame, the different things that we feel as human beings are the same things that they felt. And there are times when we don't know how to express in words what we're going through, or we don't know how to process what we're going through. And so the Psalms are there for us, and they help us, and they guide us, and they give us a pattern that we can follow as we're trying to process the, the emotions and the circumstances of our lives. And in Psalm 22, we don't know the particular details of what David was going through. And like in, in some of the other Psalms that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we don't always know the exact details of David's life when he wrote the particular Psalm. But I think that's actually helpful to us because while the details may differ, the emotions are gonna be the same. I didn't go through exactly what David went through but I went through something that was equally as challenging for me. And so I can relate to what he went through in Psalm 22 because the emotions were the same. And the same can be true for all of us, really, in whatever situation that we find ourselves. So David starts off in Psalm 22. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night but I find no rest. David is he's saying, why is this happening? Where are you, God? When's it going to end? Why won't you help me? I'm calling out to me, out to you. Why won't you answer me? He's, he's expressing the pain that he's going through, and he's, an ex, he's expressing it with the emotion of one who is in some sense feeling alone feeling hopeless, and he's crying out to God to rescue him. But watch what he does next. So he starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, yet you're enthroned as the Holy One. You're the one Israel praises. 
So he starts by expressing his frustration. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then he balances his frustration by reminding himself that his God is the God of the universe. His God is the one whom his people, whom Israel praises. And then he continues by reminding himself of what God did for his ancestors. Verse 4, in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and they were not put to shame. Watch what David's doing. He's doing the same thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He's looking back at God's faithfulness in the past and he's using it to strengthen his faith, his trust in God in the present. He looks back and he says, God, you delivered my people Israel in the past and I know that you can do the same thing and you can deliver me in the present. And over the past four years, I've tried to do the same thing in my own life. I look back to the past. I look back to the summer of 2012 when I was going through that darkness, through that, that burnout, through hitting that wall. And I look and I see that God was faithful during that time. There were times when I felt like he wasn't there. But now I look back and I say, yes, he was there the whole time. So when I'm going through something similar, maybe not as acute, maybe not as deep, maybe not as dark, maybe not as intense, but something that in some ways is equally as frustrating to me now as it was back then, I can look back and I can say, you, God, were faithful back then, and I know that you're going to be faithful now. So as we're going through the challenges of our lives, look back and ask yourself, when have I seen God faithful in the past? And my circumstances may have changed, but my God has not changed. And that's what David is reminding himself of. The same God who rescued Israel is the same God who can rescue David even now. And then he continues. He says, but I'm a worm. I'm not a man. I'm scorned by everyone. I'm despised by the people. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast, from birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Watch the back and forth that David is doing in these verses. Verse 1, why have you forsaken me? Then yet you're enthroned, but I'm a worm. Yet you have been my God. God, I know you're there, but it doesn't seem like it. I know you love me, but I'm not feeling it right now. I trust you, but man, it is so challenging when I'm going through these circumstances. I mean, that's reality, right? We who are followers of Jesus, yes, we know that God loves us. We know that he cares for us. We know that we can trust him, but man, it is so difficult when that darkness is closing in. David is feeling this. He's processing it, and he's left a record of what was going on in his heart and his mind to help us as we're trying to process the same sort of thing. About a thousand years later, after David had written Psalm 22, one of David's descendants used David's exact words to express his own anguish, even though his circumstances were somewhat different than David's. The gospel writer Matthew says, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is Jesus. 
This is our Lord. This is our Savior. This is the creator of the universe. This is the God of the universe, the one who, in some sense, David was crying out to, and yet Jesus is using David's exact words as he's hanging on the cross. He's taking David's words. He's appropriating them. He's making them his own. And like David, he is crying out and he's saying, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me alone? And it's amazing to think that that's Jesus actually saying those things. We can understand David saying that, but how is it that Jesus is doing this? It's because he's experiencing the same emotions, the same feeling, the same need for rescue that, that David had even though his circumstances were different. And the link between David's experiences and Jesus' experiences and David's emotions and Jesus' emotions, the link goes beyond the opening words of Psalm 22. I want to walk through a couple of different sections of Psalm 22 and compare and contrast those with what was going on in Psalm 22 and what was going on with Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. So we're going to flip back and forth. Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8, David writes, he says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. That's David. The apostle Matthew writes about Jesus' crucifixion and he says, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked Jesus. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. As you're reading this, it's almost like Jesus' enemies had Psalm 22 open in front of them and they're using it as a script. Psalm 22 says we're supposed to mock him. We're supposed to hurl insults. We're supposed to shake our heads. That's exactly what they were doing with Jesus. Oh, wait, here it says he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. So we got to make sure that we say that. But of course, they weren't following a script in that situation. David continues and he writes, he says, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it's melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. That sounds an awful lot like someone who's being crucified, yet David was not being crucified. He's speaking metaphorically of the pain, of the anguish that he's going through. And then a thousand years later, somebody actually is being crucified. And, and John writes, and he says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, thinking back to Psalm 22, Jesus said, I am thirsty. David's saying, my mouth is dried up. Jesus is saying, I'm thirsty. David says, all my bones are out of joint. Jesus' bones actually were out of joint as he's hanging on the cross. David continues, he says, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And the apostle John writes about Jesus. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes 
dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened, again, that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garments. It's like they're following a script, and yet they're not. David's talking about being surrounded by dogs. He's not talking about the barking canines. Dogs was a derogatory term that Jews would use to refer to Gentiles, to non-Jews. He's saying, the dogs, the Gentiles are surrounding me. Jesus was surrounded by the Gentiles. He's crucified by soldiers. They're not Jewish soldiers. They're Roman soldiers. So they're the dogs that David was speaking of in Psalm 22. And those dogs did exactly what David was saying. They divided my garments among them and they, the, my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garment. So you've got this scene. You've got David crying out to God when he's surrounded by his enemies. And we don't know whether that was figuratively because there were so many, literally, I mean, because there were so many times when David actually was surrounded by enemies. Was he thinking about a specific occasion in which he was being surrounded by his enemies, maybe the Philistines who were coming to attack him? We don't know. Or was he speaking figuratively, thinking back over the course of his life and the, the, the multitude of situations that he felt like when his enemies were closing on in, in on him, both in a sense literally and figuratively? We don't know the exact details. We do know the details of Jesus dying on the cross. And their experiences were somewhat different, but their emotions were essentially the same. And so Jesus appropriates Psalm 22, and he makes it his own. He says, David's emotions are my emotions. That common human emotion of feeling alone, of feeling that need to cry out to God to rescue, uh, to rescue me, a feeling in some sense, no hope in that situation. Jesus is saying, I'm going through that right now as I'm here on the cross. My circumstances were different four years ago. My circumstances today are different. Your circumstances are different, yet our emotions so often are the same as those that David felt and the same that those that Jesus felt. And so when we're in a situation where we're feeling that, where we're feeling the darkness closing in, where we're feeling like everyone is against us, where we're feeling like we're just alone, we can do the same thing that they did and just cry out to God and say, my God, I need you. Where are you? Help me. Rescue me. I mean, that's what I did that dark summer four years ago. I prayed through lots of Psalms, prayed through lots of Psalms. Psalm 22, Psalm 103, Psalm 51, as I thought about my sin, so many different Psalms praying through and saying, okay, Lord, you gave these Psalms to me. I mean, the world doesn't revolve around me, but God gave them to me. He gave them to you. He gave them to us to help us to process those emotions. There were times when I didn't know what words to use, so I was able to use the Psalms to speak for me and to help me to pray in those situations. And I spent time with a counselor. I spent time with my wife, Anne, who was so helpful to me. I went and visited a doctor who was able to give me a physical and suggest some lifestyle changes that could be helpful. And all of those things were helpful. But from the spiritual side of things, the most helpful thing was just taking some time, praying, turning my focus to God, 
crying out to him, using the Psalms to help me to work through. And God brought me through that darkness and it passed. But I still, I still every week and sometimes multiple times a week, I'm crying out to God and saying, Lord, I need you. I can't live life on my own. And there are times when I'm feeling super lonely. There are times when I'm feeling oppressed. There are times when I'm feeling discouraged. And in those times, I cry out to God. But there are also times when I'm just feeling frustrated. It's okay to cry out to God in those situations as well. Sometimes I, I realize, and I've talked to a number of people who feel reluctant to cry out to God with the boldness, in a sense, that, that David did and Jesus did. When, you, when we say, God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, that kind of, at first, sounds disrespectful, and, and we don't want to be disrespectful to God. But you see, for both David and Jesus, it was not a cry of disrespect. It was a cry of faith. They're not shaking their fists at God and saying, you know, God, where are you with that, like it's, it's God's fault kind of thing. Instead, they're crying out to him and they're saying, my God, my God, you are my God. Help me to understand why you've forsaken me because I'm feeling that right now. And we can do the same thing. God doesn't want us to hide our emotions. He doesn't want us to suppress our he doesn't want us to suppress our emotions. He knows what we're feeling. He's God, right? He already knows what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. So we might as well express it to him. We just need to do it respectfully. So we need to cry out to God. And we also need to remind ourselves that God cares. We need to remind ourselves that God cares because it is so easy to forget that. Think about it this way. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to feel abandoned. So when we're crying out, we're saying, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what it feels like, Lord? And Jesus says, yeah, I do know what it feels like. See, when Jesus decided to do something about our plight. When Jesus decided to rescue us, he didn't just do it from a distance. He could have. He could have just stayed in heaven and, and, and rescued us from up there. But instead he says, no, I'm going to come down. I'm going to become a human being. I'm going to be born. I'm going to go through the, the, the trials of, of the pain, the discomfort of being born. I'm going to go through adolescence. I mean, think about that. God becoming an adolescent How's that one dealing, you know, with that situation? He suffered, he bled, he died. He went through the whole range of human pain and emotion. Why? Because he loves us, because he cares about us. Jesus doesn't just sympathize with us. He actually empathizes with us. He doesn't just feel for us. He feels with us. Does he know what it's like to go through what we're going through? Absolutely, unquestionably, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that can give us the confidence to remind ourselves that God absolutely does care for us. And beyond that, we need to remind ourselves that nothing, absolutely nothing, is too big for God to handle. David's crying out to God in that situation, and I have to believe that he's asking himself, is this too big for God to handle? I ask myself that time from, from, from time to time. 
I ask myself that question. Is there anything that is too big for God to handle? No. David's situation looked impossible, yet God brought him through. Look what he says near the end of the psalm. He says, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. Why? Because you've rescued me, David says. And then he turns and he, he speaks in a sense to us. He says, for he, for God, has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He's not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. He's speaking about himself in the third person, and he is essentially saying, God has listened to my cry. He's rescued me. I've praised him. So you, those who are reading David's psalm, should praise him as well. But not only did God rescue David, he also took David's experience and he used it to prefigure Jesus' crucifixion as we were talking about earlier. Those similarities between David's experience and his emotions and Jesus' experience and his emotions, those, those similarities aren't just coincidental. They're completely intentional on God's part. The Roman soldiers weren't following a script, but they were fulfilling God's plan. They didn't know what they were doing, but God absolutely did. David didn't know that Jesus was going to share his experience a thousand years later, but God did. That's the kind of God whom we have. He's sovereign. He controls the course of history. He is big enough to shape the course of history, and he's big enough to shape the course of our lives. David's situation seemed humanly impossible, but God brought him through it. When I was going through my darkness, it seemed impossible. And for me, it was. But God brought me through it. Jesus' situation seemed impossible. He's dying. He's dead. He's in the grave. And yet God raised him from the dead because nothing, nothing is too big for God to handle. So whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it's hitting the wall, it's burnout, it's depression, it's that waking up every morning, every day for year after year after year and climbing out of bed is like climbing Mount Everest. It's that impossible boss. It's that spouse who is unwilling, unwilling to work on your marriage, or it's something relatively trivial. It's the car breaking. It's some issue with your health insurance, or it's something in between. I don't know what the circumstances are that you're going through, but wherever you are, we all need to remind ourselves to cry out to God because nothing is too big for him to handle and nothing is too small for him to care. He cares about the smallest details of our lives just as much as he cares about the huge, seemingly impossible things. Because God loves us, he cares for us, he's powerful, he's sovereign. And he doesn't just care for us, but he's done something about it in sending his son to go through the whole range of human experience and human emotion, to live, to suffer to die, and then he raised him from the dead so that we could have new life in him. 
Nothing is too big for him to handle. Nothing is too small for him to care. So whatever situation you're in, cry out to God and do it with 100% confidence that he absolutely, positively does love you, does care, and will hear you as you cry out to him. Let's pray together. Father, it's an amazing thought to think that, that we can cry out to you in whatever situation we're in and that you not only care for us, but that you are able, that you want to rescue us in the situations that we find ourselves. And I pray that we would remind ourselves of that day after day after day. And Father, I pray for those who are going through incredibly difficult situations now, whatever they may be, I pray that they would look to you, cry out to you in faith, expressing the full emotion that they're feeling and that they would find comfort and hope and peace in that. I pray for, for those who may be going through little things in our lives, that we wouldn't feel like those things are too small to, to turn to you and say, Lord, I'm, I'm really annoyed by this. Would you help? Lord, I'm really frustrated by this. Would you help in this situation? I pray that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we wouldn't hesitate for one second to cry out to you. We pray that we would continue to grow in our trust of you and our love for you. And I thank you that not only do you sympathize with us, you empathize with us. Not only do you care, but you've actually done something about it. And I pray that as we look to you, as we cry out to you, and as we see you rescue us, I pray that our faith in you would increase, our love for you would grow, and our desire to tell others of your great love for, for us as well would grow. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.